Hello and welcome to Amplify Archaeology. I'm delighted to be here today. It's a beautiful sunny day, if a little bit windy. Uh, there's a good few sheep around as well, so it might be a noisy recording, but we're just at the foot of the Rock of Cashel. No better place to be, I think. Um, it, it, it's absolutely stunning here. I'm here with Dr. Patrick Gleason of Queen's University Belfast, who's carrying out an excavation. Um, Patrick, it looks like such um, an exciting project could you tell us a little bit about the project what does it seek to discover what are the techniques that you've been using who else is involved and, and what's the kind of key areas and period of investigation yes yeah, so um the project is called comparative kingship sorry comparative kingship and it's a comparison of the early medieval kingdoms of northern britain and ireland so in the main it's kind of scotland uh, Pictland, uh, which uh, the, the kind of northern Pictish regions of Aberdeenshire in Scotland, and then in Ireland it's um, uh, the North Antrim Kingdom of, of Dáil Ríoite, um, with a case study at Dunseverick, and then a, a, a case study of, of Munster, with Cashel as the centrepiece of, of that case study as well. So it's a collaboration led by uh, Professor Gordon Noble over in the University of Aberdeen in the School of, of Geosciences. Um, and it's a Leverhulme Trust funded project so uh, I'm collaborating with Gordon from Queen's University Belfast um, and then the work at Cashel is working with Kilkenny Archaeology and Colleen O'Driscoll in um, the, 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 the field work here at Cashel itself so really our aim is to our, our aim for the overall project is to try and define the, the trajectories towards um, the development of kingdoms in the early medieval period mm-hmm. um, maybe slightly more so in terms of the first millennium AD in um, Ireland and Scotland and situate them within the north, northern European context um, in sure. terms of Scandinavia, southern and eastern Britain and the continent, how they compare. Um, for a long time Ireland and uh, Scotland have kind of been seen as a kind of a Celtic backwater in yes. terms of, of yeah. rulership and uh, famously Richard Hodges actually refers to, um, to, to Ireland as a, a late Celtic outpost where a um, uh, a backward-looking idea of kingship is what kind of um, stalled stalled social development. Um, so I suppose we're really trying to, to tr- trying to challenge that and build up a, a database for mm-hmm. how royal sites and royal landscapes were used to articulate and and exercise power through the first millennium AD and the role that those places played in in framing framing um, kingdoms and and kingship. The two sites in Scotland that we're focused on are, are Burghead and, and Rhiney, um, sites mm-hmm. that Gordon and the Northern Picks Project in the University of Aberdeen have been working on for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but to date, I suppose, the, the project has done more work in, in Scotland and the guys have been doing some really spectacular excavations and survey work at a whole range of, of hill forts and uh, possible early medieval sites across Scotland mm-hmm. um, in terms of Rhiney itself in Aberdeenshire, the Rhiney Environs Project then and then um, some really spectacular hill forts like Middertap, um, uh, Middertap, Tappanoth mm-hmm. and Burghead, which is a very, very large promontory fort, a really spectacular promontory fort sited on the, the Mara Firth in, in, in Scotland. Okay. So they've really been doing an inordinate amount of excavation and evaluation of a whole host of sites around Aberdeenshire to try mm-hmm. and characterise the nature of the settlement landscape. Mm-hmm. In the main, our techniques are kind of a, compar- a, a combination of large-scale geophysics, remote sensing to characterise the nature of 
archaeological material at a landscape scale mm-hmm. and then really targeted excavation work to, to try and get in and date those those features that we identify in the geophysics mm-hmm. that allow us to, to model how these centres and these landscapes develop without necessarily having to, to, to do too large an excavation or, or, or that, you know, to really, really very target. Very surgical. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, very um, interesting approach. And do you think that, um, I suppose, I, I don't know if this would be true to say, is there a slight advantage in our understanding of the this period in Ireland in comparison to Scotland in terms of that we have more historical sources? Would that be a true statement? Or um, There's pros and cons in that respect, I suppose. Yeah. Scotland has is probably more poorly served by, by historical sources, mm. um, but on the project we have working with us, uh, James O'Driscoll, who's a postdoc, um, he'd done his PhD in UCC and he's working as the postdoc leading some of the field work, but mm-hmm. we also have a couple of other people, e- Edward is a, an animal bone specialist, Sam Jones is a paleoenvironmentalist, okay. and then Nick Evans, who's actually a historian, so he'll oh, be doing great. the historical side of things for each of the, the, the landscapes, so he's actually doing work on the Pictish King, King lists and the parish structures yeah, in Scotland, yeah. so we're trying to build up that picture as well. Okay. But in terms of the fieldwork and the kind of comparison of maybe the, the archaeological data sets that we have for, for royal sites in mm. Ireland and Scotland, I suppose the work that Gordon and the Northern Picts Project have been doing for a long time has yeah. really revolutionised understandings of yeah, early medieval yeah. Scotland and, p- and late Roman Scotland too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been other interesting work by guys like Ali O'Grady too that's really, really helped that picture along. Um, so we have more historical sources, but I suppose one of the things that we're interested in doing in this project is maybe trying to get away from the historical sources, particularly in terms of, mm. for a long time, our, our models of kingship, our models of society in first millennium AD Ireland are really defined by yeah. the nature of what historians tell us. Yes. Tell yeah. us our, our questions should be. Yeah. Um, so I suppose we're, we're trying to let the archaeology speak and, and let the archaeology lead that. Yeah. And I suppose... There has been long-term excavations and, and research projects at some major centres like Dunalnia, Ratcrohan, and mm-hmm. kind of geophysical imaging project in, in NUIG. Really yeah. spectacular results at Ratcrohan. Absolutely. The Discovery Programme in NUIG's work at Tara has been, been really influential too and really yeah. changed how we understand that landscape. Susan Johnson, Bernard Wales in terms of Dunalnia. Mm. Cashel hasn't seen that, um, mm-hmm. that's why we're focused on it, that's why I did my PhD research and have been mm-hmm. working on it for around about 10 years. But mm-hmm. I think at the same time, as much as there's been a lot of work on those sites, mm-hmm. we probably haven't had much excavation or we haven't had much um, kind of targeted testing of what we see in geophysics yes and yeah. that is probably something that we need to address collectively yeah. as, a, as a as a as a as a group of scholars focusing on these th- these issues because yeah. we've tended to in you know in terms of things like Ratcrotton and tara a lot of the discoveries be are based on geophysics they need to mm. be ground truthed um, yeah, and, and, and tested to see what date they are and really verify some of the yeah. kind of hypotheses that we have so yeah. that's what our aim is here at cashel in that respect and so i think maybe in, s- in some senses although we have far more data and far mm. more um, sources in Ireland than we would for, 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 for Scotland mm-hmm. I think probably we do lack the the field data and excavation data that the guys in Scotland have been building up over the last couple of years so they've yeah. really built a really a large corpus of, of sites to, that they've excavated and targeted and, and evaluated whereas you know Very in good. Ireland in terms of royal sites you have the provincial centres then there's yeah. Lagor, Moyna, Loch yeah. Uh, Clotter, uh, Nout has been recently published, but mm. Lagor uh, uh, has all sorts of problems of, of interpretation and phasing. We yeah. have a British Academy funded project looking at that at the at the moment. Okay. And then Moyna, Loch and Clotter aren't really fully published. So I, I think we actually have relatively poor 
um, yeah, data set to work from in terms of looking at kingship and, and royal sites. A lot of work to do, and yeah. it's great that this project is examining some of these issues. And, yeah, and I suppose um, looking at the project as being kind of a collaboration between looking at sites in Ireland and Scotland, one thing that both countries share is that neither were fully uh, a Roman province in, in yeah. comparison to to England and Wales. Um, do you think to some degree that especially the early few centuries mm. are sort of uh, the the countries the kingdoms of Ireland and Scotland are almost kind of defined by the proximity to Rome while not belonging to it if that makes sense I mean what extent can we say at this point that the cultures were Romanized by um, I, I, I suppose the the trade and interactions between the the nations which which undoubtedly happened yeah, I suppose that's a really difficult question. You know, there was yeah. the there was the Lyre project with in the Discovery Program with Jared Dowling and Jacqueline Cal, Cal Wilson yes. that I suppose was aimed at answering that 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 question. And hopefully, more interesting material will, will come out of that project. But it's mm-hmm. a bit of a nebulous one in some senses because, yeah, um, as much as they share similarities and there is some kind of superficial um, similarities between the nature of of of. Uh, um, say early to later Roman mm. contact and and exchange. I think it's probably fair to say too that that Scotland is very different from Ireland because the yeah. assemblages that you get in Scotland tend to be um, very different. They tend to be much there's a much larger assemblage and there's a lot of sites that are um, kind of Roman Iron Age in Scotland now that are coming okay. to light um, that are maybe changing the picture there. But I think work by people like Fraser Hunter and yeah. uh, Ollie O'Grady on East, East Lomond Tilfort is really shown um, a, a, a much higher degree of contact maybe mm. than we, we okay. might think for, for Ireland. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, Ireland has a very interesting, very important r- materi- assemblage of Roman material. Mm-hmm. Um, but by comparison to Scotland or other regions like Scandinavia outside the boundaries of empire, yeah. it is relatively small. And I yeah, think that's yeah. that's an important element of it. Okay. What is distinctive about it, though, is there's uh, there's actually a range of material within that relatively small corpus by comparison that mm. is relatively exotic and it is unusual. Yeah. So Aratine ware is like hen's teeth and we yes. have shards of that, but okay. we don't have... We don't have, you know, other material that we would we would kind of expect from Scandinavia or Scotland. Mm. I think then when you get into the fourth and fifth centuries, maybe there's more similarities in terms of yeah. um, the vacuum that was left with the the Roman withdrawal from from uh, eastern eastern Britain and southern mm. Britain, and how the 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 nature of societies developed in those sub to post Roman centuries. And I think. Sure as much as we can see that power vacuum and the kind of late Roman legacy being maybe one of the influence factors, I would be very strongly of the opinion that the, the nature of kingship in Ireland was far more aligned to um, what we see in Europe in terms of how it was developing, and particularly Anglo-Saxon England, okay. than we've maybe seen to date. So I think Ireland has always been participating in that kind of European exchange of ideas system in, in, in regards to forms of rulership and, and, and kingship. And culture. So I think you know yeah. that's an important element of it that we'll hopefully explore a bit further and that's really interesting and i suppose one of the big pieces of culture that you know could be said to that rome was a main um conduit for in a way is christianity and that, and that yeah. undoubtedly had big changes for irish um settlement of kingship and and practical culture essentially um afterwards and, and uh do we see a similar kind of thing with Scotland? I know that certainly we have figures like Conkill, for example, that established Irish mm. uh, Christian churches um, in, in Scotland. Do, you, do we see kind of uh, 
when we're talking about kingship and, and rulers, do we see how big a role does Christianity play in, in those early centuries, if you like, of post-Roman? I think probably that that's something that over the next few years we'll we'll probably get to get to grips with a little bit mm. better. Um, I think the understanding of power centres and elite centres in Scotland is maybe that little bit better for the post-Roman yeah. centuries okay. um, than than in Ireland. But there is isn't maybe the same level of understanding of Christian culture and Christian sites that mm. that is starting to change with the work yeah. of, of people like Adrian Maldonado and Ewan Campbell and that and, uh, and Iona and, and, and other mm-hmm. people. Um, and I suppose the other element to, the, to factor in is that Scotland is a region that has many different kingdoms in it, and many yes. different cultural yeah. kind of trajectories. So, you know, yeah. Christianisation maybe happened slightly, slightly later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Different priorities and there's definitely differences in terms of patterns of burial, etc. But see. I think it's very fair to say that by at least the fifth and sixth centuries in Ireland, the church did exercise a very um, important element of control in shaping mm. the nature of, of royal landscapes. You could look yeah. at places like Dunalanya, mm-hmm. um, supposedly the capital of, of Leinster, has an incredible assembly landscape across the River Niffy from it in a Carmen, and mm. around that, that assembly landscape is a whole host of cemeteries that seem to be founded in the 5th and 6th centuries, yeah. as Very well as a whole host of churches, and these are the yeah. earliest churches we have in the Irish landscape, down at place names like mm. Yego. Mm-hmm. And even Kilcullen itself is literally yes. a stone's throw from uh, from uh, Absolutely. So I think all those sites show that from a very early period in in Ireland, the church, clerics, and and, and Christian culture was exercising a, a degree of influence and shaping ideas of kingship and and how royal places were were developing. Yeah. Okay. Oddly enough, Cashel is a bit strange in that regard. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, it, it's a funny one because it, when you visit, like, it is such an iconic site. You know, yeah. it is one of our most famous sites. And when you come to visit here, that's what you experience, isn't it? It's a, it's a religious site in a way. It's an ecclesiastical place. You see the Round Tower, the cathedral, Comics Chapel, of course. But it didn't start out as that, did it? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe that's one of the things that that. Uh, I think there co- there's the most scope to develop at yeah. at Cashel, you know. Yeah. As you say, when you visit, you hear about the ecclesiastical heritage, you hear about the um, the the church buildings, and essentially mm. that kind of history starts at at eleven o one. Now everybody knows it's the seat of the kings of of Munster, yeah. granted over to the church in eleven o one by Murkataku Abreen, and then about a decade later became mm. the seat of an archbishopric. And more or less everything that you see up in the on the the rock dates to 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 that period, to that period yeah. um, and and later. So. The royal heritage, the previous five, six hundred years, probably six hundred years, and um, that doesn't have any tangible element mm. on the, the summit of the rock, which is what yeah. people visit. And I suppose that's why we're focusing down here. But it, yeah. that, that Christian element is is a is a really interesting element, a very important element. It's yeah. actually relatively poorly studied and understood itself in terms of the archaeologists will see and, and and what the archaeological element of that was. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the royal heritage, the the only. The, the only kind of um, finds to, to date from the rock itself have been uh, a, a Roman fibula from probably 1st, 2nd century AD that yeah, was found okay. in in kind of 19th century um, rubble material in between Cormac's Chapel and the cathedral. Right. In, okay. in excavations by um, uh, by Brian Hodgkinson mm. in the early 1990s, there was a whole 
uh, number of phases of different burial that were found, okay. um, and that included some 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 beware late Roman amphora that was out of context. The parallelopipe died; it might be qu- quite early, and mm. and some animal bone and a whole phase, a whole series of phases of different burials. Okay. At the moment, we don't know when the burial starts, but one of the things that Brian also found was um, a timber church that is probably the church oh, that okay. was mentioned in the ninth century yeah. in a in a, a tract um, on the kings of Cashel that seems to refer to the process of inaugurating the c- inaugurating a king on the the rock so wow. that was within the chancel of, of Cormac's chapel but other than that there's not very much that you mm. can walk into the rock and see that relates That's to that tangible theory. yeah exactly yeah. yeah but I suppose we know from the geophysics that we've done around Cashel then that there is actually a massive landscape of, of monuments and, and and very special mm. monuments in the immediate vicinity of the summit so we're on the south side excavating at the moment and um, the mm. southeast the western faces there's some some possibilities of some terrace in there and then there's a whole host of things in the fields around Hoare Abbey and then oh, there's yeah. a, a monument yeah. called the Dovecloy possibly an inauguration uh, avenue of some sort a kind of right. sunken linear feature that runs for about a kilometer on the the north and northeast corner of the the rock Very right away from a, a mound to the to the rock itself before petering out on the the northwestern faces so there is royal royal elements there uh-huh. but as you said they're just not a, what you hear about when you when you visit because no they're maybe not as tangible and, and, and visible yeah but that's it i mean i, I suppose yeah and so i mean how big was the survey area that you was the geophysics done over a number of years was it over um, a number of seasons so some of it was, it was done as a part of my phd and then uh, mm. in the, the the immediate kind of period f- from finishing it we got some funding from the, the department for environment heritage and, and local government and mm-hmm. the opw the royal irish academy and the, the heritage council who very mm-hmm. gra- very graciously gave us some money to, to do the work great so we did about 30 hectares of, of geophysics mm-hmm. and the magnetometry wow. was a little bit better than the resistivity and mm-hmm. the, the electromagnetics um, but it showed up quite significant features, which is okay. what led to led to this project. So us yeah. trying to see about evaluating them. Yeah. So we have about thirty hectares of, of really good geophysical data, chock full with, with features and, and <laughs> monuments. Um, whether we'll get to, to test them all is the the challenge over the next next few years. But yeah. potentially that has the, the the ability to revolutionise our, our knowledge of um, not only the royal heritage of, of Cashel sure. but um, the late medieval and, and post medieval periods when it's the archaeopiscopal sea and as it yes. developed into um, a site on the the outskirts of the the town of Cashel itself too. Well, it's a terrific resource, isn't it, to give you that um, almost kind of benchmark level of understanding of what the potential for the archaeology is and in terms of the excavation here you've been here is it uh, all, all this week um yeah so it's just this week initially and yeah. um, we would hope to come back relatively soon for um, some evaluation in, a, in the field the field next door uh-huh. um so it really has just been started on monday and we'll we'll finish up tomorrow okay um, so like you said kind of a surgical yes <laughs> a, a yeah, enterprise yeah. to get yeah. in get some get some data material um, and, and date those features and, and, and see what they what they belong to. And um, what sort of things have you been finding? Has it altered your perceptions at all? Is it, or is uh, it, y- yes and no, I suppose. Mm. Um, so the field we're in at the moment, um, we found a, a very large L-shaped enclosure, um, mm. or what looked like an L-shaped enclosure, um, on mm. the the southern side of the the rock, at the mm. centre of which seems to be a, a barrow, which potentially could be very late prehistoric or, or, or early medieval. Okay. Um, and then there is a whole series of linear features that come off that barrow that seem to divide up the space within this within this um, enclosure. Mm-hmm. Then. 
there is a possibility that that enclosure actually continues around the rock on the, the south uh, southeastern side. Brilliant. And then there's a couple of other features, like a possible square enclosure um, between the two fields that we're in and the one that we wanted to get into next. Terrific. But in the, the, the field on the, the southeastern face, uh-huh. yeah, southeastern face, there is a very large, well, there's, t- there's two, at least two, possibly three concentric um, curvilinear features that we're wondering the possibilities that they might be enclosing elements uh-huh. um, whether that whether that is, is is true or not remains to be seen and sure. they seem to be cut by a very large um, pair of parallel um, linear features that look like a, an avenue leading up to the modern the modern entrance really with a whole series of very large pits in the centre of them wow. so you know again they could be any date really that's yeah. what we're here to, yeah. here to find out yep. the trench that we have have been excavating for the week that is uh, located across what looked like the bank and ditch of mm-hmm. the the large kind of L-shaped feature yeah. on the, the southern southern or southwestern western slopes with the barrow at the mm-hmm. centre of it. Um, to date, we haven't had any early medieval finds, but we have had relatively consistent finds of, of late 12th, uh, very early 13th century in terms of um, okay. the material. So we have uh, a very nice medieval ring brooch. We have Lovely. two uh, King John silver coins or, or halfpennies of about uh, 1190. Um, we have some imported pottery, some local cashel-type pottery um, from the features that we've been digging. We're just starting to get down to the, or finish, finishing up getting down to the, to the earliest layers. Yeah. We have a very large collection of animal bone um, yeah, from okay. more or less every context and feature that we've, we've excavated. Sure. So that'll allow us to, to really closely date them and see yeah, how they, see how they, they relate. Uh-huh. Um, so that's all to come out in the wash, I suppose. That's, yeah, that's, that's where the post excavation comes in. Yeah. But at the moment, it's maybe looking like that feature that we've, we've targeted first might not be, be early medieval unless some of the radiocarbon dates come back. Okay. Um, but that's kind of where we're at now. Um, we'll hopefully get, get, get moving on to the next, the next feature and see then after that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, I mean, it's such good land around here. It's such a prominent site. You can see how it was an attractive place for settlement for pretty much all of human history, right? So these features that you're discovering, it, it's, uh, they could span quite a long time period. It, it must be hard until you do this important work of the excavation to to actually be sure at the end of it. Yeah, it's a bit nebulous, you know, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, we're in a nice place where, we're, I suppose, with the geophysics, we yeah. can target our trenches very, very precisely yes. to make yeah. sure we're getting um, relationships between features that we've uh, identified. Yes. Um, some of the stuff that's coming up, I think, because it, the the um, because the, the the depth of the trench is so deep, mm. it probably hasn't been picked up in the geophysics. So that's kind of complicating things a, oh, bit, okay. a bit more. Okay. But um, yeah, you know, y- you never really know with geophysics. It's no. The ground no. truthing is the is the important that's element, ish. and you yeah. know, that's that's what we're that's what we're here <laughs> that's to do. What so you that's do. the that's the task over the next uh, <laughs> months and, and years, hopefully. But um, yeah. I suppose we'll see we'll see what comes out, and that'll be the that'll that, be the kicker. And that that's what you're moving on to now. It's going to be the post next to look through everything that you found. To radiocarbon dates will be incredibly important, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah. So we have quite a number of radiocarbon dates assigned to the. To the, to the project so Brilliant. that'll be really interesting to see how the different features relate to each other because there is a lot of um, interrelationship between them so seeing we should we should it's looking like we might be able to get a relatively tight chronology for how the, the site the site develops mm-hmm. so that would be the the hope um, mm. and then in terms of getting soil samples processed uh, finds reports written we have a couple uh, sm- the number of um, iron and, and copper objects um, that aren't 
particularly diagnostic, so we have to get them yeah, ex- sure. x-rayed and assessed too and see what they, they might come up with yeah. when we get some fine specialists to, to look at them. But yeah, exa- really exciting, exciting times, you know. Yeah. I, I think probably the most interesting thing is that we've had more or less consistent late 12th to 13th century material from, yeah. from, from most of it so far. So yeah. we, we seem to have a relatively tight chronology. Uh-huh. we'll see if the radiocarbon dates bear that out um, mm-hmm. but that's the next steps really is to, to see how that works and that by itself I think it, it, you know although it might not be the, the key focus for your particular project is a really interesting story it's that early phase of settlement of you know the the Anglo Normans is a big part of the story of Cashel and it, Absolutely, it's really interesting yeah. Yeah. Um, a really fascinating part of it particularly because yeah. it's in that period when the rock becomes um, an archbishopric when it becomes um, one of the most important ecclesiastical sites on the island of Ireland, maybe save save Armagh and a couple of sites in, yeah. in, in Dublin. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. it, it is a very very special place for a very very long time, mm-hmm. um, and particularly that kind of late twelfth to early thirteenth century period when yeah. um, the cathedral is built. Um, there's visits from from uh, Norman kings. Um, that is a really fascinating period, mm-hmm. um, and are, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how the excavations we've done, and maybe what comes yeah. up in, in later excavations, allows us to really start to get to grips with, with what the Anglo-Normans were doing here at, at Cashel, because I suppose South Tipperary was a real stronghold of, 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 of Norman power. Well, that's it. And so I suppose how Cashel fits into that is is a bit difficult mm-hmm. um, to, 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 to gauge or, or, or pin down. I know there, there was a dispute between the Archbishopric and the Crown in the the early 13th century that mm-hmm. might have been over over part of the, the the earlier royal estate that was granted to the church, mm-hmm. um, whether part of that was kept as a royal estate by Markataku Abreen. Mm. Uh, and kings of Munster in, in 1101. There seems to have been a dispute over who owned the, the land um, and possibly what we're seeing is, is that period of that dispute um, okay. um, in terms of when it was happening. Um, so that'll be really interesting to, to figure out and yeah. see see how it fits into the overall picture of, of uh, how this site is being used at that really really seminal period in its in its history. Yeah. Um, particularly the, the, the coins, the two 1190 coins that yeah. we've we found. We've found another little piece of, of, of um, metal that looks like it might be clipped possibly from a from a coin we'll okay. have to see again whether, whether that's the case but if so that might suggest some mint in here as well which would be very really interesting. really interesting and uh, one of the I, I suppose one of the interesting questions that might come of that is if you have this uh, what seems to be this kind of early phase of Norman settlement here it's such an iconic site for the O'Briens uh, and so on have you found anything that suggests the site was defended around that period I mean there's no clear evidence of Motton Bailey do you think that the top of the rock itself was a, a good defensive point or do you think it was defended you know this was kind of relatively safe for them places like Knockgraff and, and these big moths they have around this part of the country were the outer ring of defences if you like yeah, it's it's really difficult to say. You know, th- mm. there is some there is some really interesting features around the Rock of Cashel that could possibly be defences, but okay. again, they could be from any period. You know, yeah, there's, there's yeah, stretches, yeah. there's ditches and stretches of wall on, on the nor- northern face that could date to any period. Wow. They could even just be from quarry and associated with you know every building being built in limestone <laughs> yes, in the area, yes. even the cathedral itself. And I yes. think that's probably what has happened in terms of the of the western face is very badly quarried. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think you know possibly that's where the, the material for the cathedral and the enclosing wall has come from but so clearly okay. there's been quite a lot of the the, the western slopes particularly and mm. potentially the northern slopes that have been um quarried away yeah so maybe we won't, mightn't get any trace of it but that's maybe where you might expect it yeah okay um okay 
but also I suppose all the features that we've identified in, in the geophysics mm-hmm. um, I suppose we were initially investigating them with the with the um, the intention to see if they might be early medieval and belong to that early early medieval phase of activity and mm. um, at least the one that we've been digging at the moment seems to be seems to be very very closely dated to the anglo-norman period or, you know that could could change but you know the if you you can see around you here the, the slope mm. to the land yeah the position of the features it it, it you don't necessarily need to call it dis- defensive, yeah. but it is defensible. And yeah, it, it is. It is quite even quite a debilitating slope to get a wheelbarrow up. So, yeah, no, I imagine. Um, I so imagine. you know, all I suppose all those questions remain it, to remain to be answered. But sure. there's something clearly very interesting going on here at that at that period. Absolutely, I think it's a it's a fascinating project, and you know, what better place to be on a on a bright day really than in the rock of casual yeah. like? I mean, it's it's a fantastic place for an excavation. Um, We'll leave it there, Patrick. I think thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. I know it's an incredibly busy time at the end of an excavation, <laughs> so I do appreciate it. And hopefully, we get time to catch up again in the future yeah. when you're further along Please on the project. Us. But Cheers. thanks very much, Patrick. Thank thanks. you. And that's everything from this edition of Amplify Archaeology. I'd like to thank Patrick, Colleen, and the excavation team for taking time out to talk. It's such an interesting project. I'm going to be sharing links to the project and extra information on our website at abataheritage.ie, so be sure to check out the show notes there and check out our previous editions of Amplify Archaeology. If you have the time and the inclination, we'd really love it if you could leave us a review or better still, tell a friend. Until next time, thank you.